Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent, who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future. I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you, and good night. I love you.
song. What a song. Happy Monday, everybody. Thank you for tuning into the Rory Sodder Show. I'm Rory Sodder, your host. It is great to be with all of you. I hope you had a fantastic weekend. I hope it was fun. I hope it was productive. Uh, My weekend was fantastic. We had so many great shows last week. So much stuff happened in the media over the weekend, which I'm I'm looking forward to getting to. Uh, first and foremost, like I do every episode, I want to thank all my audience, my co-hosts, my guests and sponsors. You guys are all incredible. The show just keeps getting better and better. We're now listened to in 23 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past episodes, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit our media site, thenextnexgenusa. Com. And everybody, like I said, uh, in the coming weeks, it's, it's extended out a little bit, um, not, not much longer, though, but a couple weeks, we will be having many notable people doing their own shows on the network. And as I said before, as time gets closer, I will be uh, sharing all those details. Um, I want to I wanna get right into it, uh, but I do want to welcome to the show uh, doctor, award-winning speaker, professor, veteran, technology expert, best-selling author, and currently the Commissioner of Parks and Recreation for Maricopa County, Dr. Bob Branch. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm fantastic, Rory. I'm I'm glad to be back on your show tonight. Spent uh, the weekend up there at the Grand Canyon, enjoying some of this unseasonably cool weather we're having here in Phoenix. So look forward to talking with you tonight and your whole panel. Absolutely. You're, and you're right, Dr. Branch. This weather feels fantastic. Um, it's amazing. Me, it's amazing. It, it really is. Uh, I also want to welcome to the show conservative talk show host, 2024 presidential candidate, activist, and best-selling author, Daryl Kane. Daryl, how are you, my friend? Well, I'm good. I'm a little bit upset that uh, Dr. Branch didn't call me going to the canyon. I love going there. That's a, that's a beautiful visit. It's just an incredible part of the country. But uh, it really want to make that go. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's awesome. I was actually I was actually looking over. I was there last year a couple times. I was actually looking at some videos actually just the other day. So that's kind of interesting. But uh, very excited to be on with you as always, and looking forward to another great show. Thanks for having me, brother. Absolutely, man. Always a pleasure. Uh, I also want to welcome to the show the founder of College Republicans United, founder of Republicans United, and currently the leader of Nationalists United. Kevin Dukeiper. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing wonderful. I hope everyone's had a great weekend. Uh, I'm currently on a seven-day ban on uh, Facebook, so I've been spending a lot more time outside, and it's a, it was a great weekend. How are you doing, Rory? Doing well, man. Great to have you here. And, man, sorry about the ban, man. I've been dealing with so much censoring lately. It's really bad, and they're, they're turning this into a, a nightmare, I tell you. Um, I also want to welcome to the show um, – popular talk show host, Desert Storm veteran, columnist and activist, Eric Thompson. Eric, how are you? Hey, great. I love love doing the show with you, and thank you again for inviting me. Absolutely, man. Um, So I want to get into our our opening story, which is, you know, this immigration crisis, this illegal immigration crisis with these aliens at the border. I mean, it's getting worse and worse and worse. You have Homeland Security releasing 9,000 illegal aliens into the U.S. in an eight-day eight time frame, and that's 1.1,000 released every day. 
Think about that. 9,000 illegals uh, released within eight days, and that's 1.1 thousand a day. This is insane. You have 8,000 migrant illegals that are held in, in tents now uh, at some of these uh, facilities because they're overcrowded. They can't fit these people. So they're either building tents or they're just simply releasing these people. And it's, it's crazy. There was a big article out today, and this is extremely disgusting. You had an illegal who raped a dog and got released uh, from um, got released today. He got released because they were overcrowded. You have somebody that got back out on the street within a few months time frame after you know. And this isn't the only the only example. You know, we saw how Kate Steinley didn't get justice in San Francisco when when the illegal took her life. We see so many different examples of, of humans, uh, you know, getting getting violated by these illegals, and there's been so many different scenarios where these illegals are walking. They're walking free. I don't know what what's it going to take. Uh, you know, we had President Trump uh, give a big speech last weekend. Uh, no, not last weekend. Last week, late last week, uh, about the immigration crisis and about what he plans to do. And obviously he has a lot of great uh, alternatives. There's a lot there. Uh, that we can look forward to and uh, really uh, trust uh, with, with, the, with the law situation, I mean, what, what he'll put into place. Uh, you know, and another great thing that, that is happening, he's uh, putting the E-Verify program back in to protect uh, U.S. jobs for Americans. That, that's something that is really uh, going to have a huge difference uh, on our system because we all know uh, if illegals get caught, I mean, if, if owners of businesses get caught hiring illegals, there will be an extreme penalty. And, uh, you know, Trump has said uh, this past week, uh, you know, that he's warning these illegals they will be leaving soon. We are going to do a roundup. I mean, that's what it's looking like. But I, you can never, you can never, I mean, I never know. I never know because one of the first priorities of, of this administration, of Trump's presidency, was controlling the illegal immigration. And he knows this is a huge problem. He knows that his supporters are depending on him to fix this crisis. There's no doubt about that. But we need to move fast. We got a huge election coming up in 2024. We have a lot uh, to, be, to be concerned about uh, if this continues. And even with the amount of illegals that have, that have already come here in the last year, uh, it should be very concerning from a safety standpoint and from a, from a voter standpoint. Um, you know, it's one of those things where it's, it's, it's getting to be uh, a crazy, crazy epidemic. It's like, it's like a terrible disease. And you have literally Border Patrol this past weekend saying on TV that they can't control it anymore. Uh, we, we need help. Something needs to be done. The politics need to stay out of it. We need to put our country first and, and uh, you know, put – put the safety forward because this is this is absolutely out of control i want to play this clip from tucker carlson uh from the other night you know he puts this into perspective great and uh you know you, got, you guys got to hear this one four good evening and welcome to tucker carlson tonight this week the trump administration revealed its proposal to overhaul america's immigration system the proposal would not by itself build the often promised wall on our southern border, 
nor would it cut current levels of immigration, despite the fact that most Americans would like to see that happen. The one big thing the administration's proposal would do is give priority to immigrants who might actually help America, skilled workers with English proficiency. It's hard to see an argument against a system like that. There isn't really an argument against that system. For years, Democrats have argued that immigrants make vital additions to our economy. They're smarter than we are. They're harder working. They do better in school. They found more companies. Well, the president has decided to take Democrats at their word. He says he wants all of those good things that immigrants bring. Watch. We want immigrants coming in. We cherish the open door that we want to create for our country. But a big proportion of those immigrants must come in through merit and skill. Well, much of the world would move here if they could, hundreds and hundreds of millions of people. So why wouldn't we pick the absolute best? Immigrants with skills and English would fit in better here. Their kids would do better in school. They'd be more likely to contribute to social programs instead of draining them. So are Democrats rejoicing in this change? Of course not. They're outraged. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi spoke for the party when she declared that really merit is a bad word because everybody has merit. I want to just say something about the word that they use, merit. It is really a condescending word. Are they saying family is without merit? Are they saying most of the people who have ever come to the United States in the history of our country are without merit because they don't have an engineering degree? Uh, certainly we want to attract the best in our country, uh, to our country, and that includes many people uh, from many parts of society. What a shame we can't staff the Democratic caucus in the Congress using the same criteria the speaker would like to, to fill our country. We want to attract the best from many parts of the world, she says, but, but of course by that Pelosi doesn't mean what she says, she means just the opposite, because what exactly is best about immigrants who have criminal records or middle school educations or no ability to hold a job? The answer is there's nothing best about that. Immigrants like that might be nice people, but they're much more likely to burden the United States than to benefit, at least economically. Harvard doesn't admit students who can't speak English. It says so right on their website. So why should our country? The left doesn't want to answer questions like that or even have the conversation. Shut up, racist! Instead, they just declare that the current system is great. No evidence necessary. Watch this former Obama official make her fact-free case on MSNBC yesterday. What's less obvious is that medium and even the least skilled immigrants also contribute to the U.S. economy. They come in and they do different things from mm -hmm. natives and they allow everyone to specialize more in what they're doing best. It's that contribution of the unskilled immigrants that I think people overlook when they really push the, the so-called merit-based or the, as right. it's called in other countries, the point system. Uh-huh. So what Professor Hunt and so many on the left, including the Speaker of the House, are arguing for is a feudal system where foreign-born worker bees toil to support a smug and pampered managerial class of which they, of course, are part. There's no other explanation for our current policies. We don't need more low-skilled workers in the United States. We have plenty of low-skilled workers. Their unemployment rate is higher than the national average. Their wage growth has been abysmal for decades, generations. So how do those workers benefit from having more competition? Of course, they don't. How does the country benefit by having more low-skilled workers when technological changes may soon render millions of them permanently jobless? The answer, of course, is that we won't benefit. But for the left, whether the country benefits is not the point. 
Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, herself a symbol of America's failed immigration system, if there ever was one, someone who hates this country, coming here at public expense, spent yesterday demanding the abolition of ICE, the decriminalization of illegal immigration itself, and an end to all deportation programs. She demands open borders, the unlimited arrival of anyone who wants to come to America, whether they have anything to contribute or not. And by the way, you get to pay for it. And if you don't want to, you're a bigot. Well, you know what this is really about. Of course, it's not about civil rights. That's a joke. It's about money and power, their money, their power. The left has aligned with business interests that profit from cheap, obedient workers. Low-skilled immigrants have a harder time assimilating into the American mainstream. They stay poorer. They learn English more slowly. They're more likely to remain an ethnic underclass, all of which makes them much more likely to vote Democratic long-term. That's the point, obviously. Skilled immigrants might assimilate and become less reliable Democratic voters. They might even compete with the children of our ruling class. That's not allowed. It's safer to import serfs, and that's exactly what they're doing. Don't let them tell you it's about civil rights. It's not. It's about their convenience and their power. And, you know, Tucker is absolutely right. You know, let, let's face the facts for, for what they are. I mean, Democrats have always used illegals for political purposes, for their votes, you know, they, and then they try to justify and make the stupid talking point. Well, Americans won't do the jobs that illegals will do. That is the one, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard and one of the biggest cop-outs and, and shitty, shittiest talking points. I, that makes it has no merit whatsoever, and, and that's like just pure ignorance when that statement is made. And you know, the fact that you have a good amount of people on the left that actually believe that these these Democrat politicians care about illegals and you know want a better life for them, give me a break, seriously. Uh, Dr. Branch, go ahead. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, Cut, you're cutting out. Who aren't? Now well, what I wanted to say, great. What I wanted to say is, you know, to see these stories, uh, the way that you lay them out, people need to be going to your website, that Next Gen USA. A yeah. lot yeah. of great articles on there. I'll tell you what. I, You know, that 52-year-old guy, that illegal alien, you mentioned that he raped a dog and they let him go. Can you believe that? He raped the dog to death and they let him Terrible. go. Terrible. And to me, it's, 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 it's incredible to me. You know, you and I both, you know, we're faced with the, the problem down here in Arizona. We see it all the time. We see the buses driving up, dropping people off. Somebody was talking to me the other day because I was calling them illegal aliens. And they said, well, no, they're not illegal aliens because now they're asylum seekers. And they're allowed to be in this country until their court date, three, four, five, six years from now. And that, it just has to stop. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned last week, I think the Rory Sauter show should have the Hollywood bus that we just pull right downtown uh, Phoenix. And uh, when one of these buses pull up, say, hey, who wants to go to Sheriff's house? And that's what we should be doing. Um, you know, this is insane. Pelosi is just, you know, they're, they're full of their hypocrisy because Bill Clinton called for the exact same thing that Donald Trump has called for. And to me, you know, uh, we should have a merit-based type of system. 
We should understand the needs of, you know, what this country does need. And I support uh, President Trump 100% on this. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and it's one of those things where, you know, the politics has gotten so out of hand that, you know, these, these politicians on the left don't even care about our safety anymore. It's so – it's disgraceful. It really is. Uh, Daryl, Daryl, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's pretty remarkable to hear Nancy Pelosi's response. It's almost, you know, the left satirizing themselves. You, you, you almost can't write this stuff. I'm sure Kevin, like me, his blood was probably boiling listening to President Trump wane and wax about how much we, we love immigration into this country. And, you know, even a statement like that, which I think probably probably angered many people on in his base, and then to the left to object to the, the use of the term merit, you know, to <laughs> define standards. Now, now, and I also want to add some context here because I think that even as we go into that, that aspect of the conversation about uh, merits and point-based systems and so on and so forth, and, you know, Nancy Pelosi wants to suggest that we move away from a system where we look at people's backgrounds and these types of things. Well, the reality is, is that actually uh, leftist immigration is, is actually not an abandonment of the point system. It's again, as we see with everything from the left, it's an inversion of the point system. So a traditional immigration system might give someone a point for speaking the language. Uh, leftist immigration gives someone a point for not speaking the language. This is precisely what these diversity visas are. Diversity visa is a visa that's set aside specifically for an individual whose identity clashes with and undermines that of the uh, native people here already within the nation. And the reason why we do this, and this is so important that we open up this conversation, uh, why, why would we prioritize that? Why would we prioritize the opposite of someone coming in and being able to assimilate. It's a very revealing point, and we have all sorts of little things like these that have been going on for decades going entirely unchecked. And I think we really need to have a conversation about uh, whether this country needs more or, or less diversity. Diversity, as I've talked about in the past, by and of itself is a relatively neutral term. You know, it can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing in a certain environment. Uh, you know, a lack of diversity can be harmful, uh, but there's also a point where diversity itself becomes harmful. And I think that any balanced conversation about where we're at in terms of our diversity and need for more of it, it becomes very clear that uh, actually what is needed is less diversity and more homogeny. So I would like to move the conversation on immigration into actually including things beyond language and things like religion and our Christian identity and our European history and these types of things. I would like to see these items added to our list of, of items because our immigration at this point, again, nothing wrong with diversity so long as it does not reach a size where the minority communities can actually overwhelm the majority. And once that happens, you have a major breakdown. This is what's called balkanization. This has occurred all throughout history. So we need to be actually protecting ourselves through immigration and making sure that not only do people that are coming here have discernible job skills, but we actually need people that will be proactively reinforcing our identity, uh, identity neutral or anything adversive to our, our national identity is problematic at this point, unfortunately. 
I wish it didn't have to be that, but at this point in time where we're at, it's very important that we enact defensive immigration policies. Very, very well said. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, let, let's go to Eric. Eric, go ahead. Well, as someone who lives in California surrounded by illegal aliens and people from India that are not assimilating, and now China is buying up parts of Fresno, I've seen it in the Bay Area where we uh, lived for quite a while in Orange County. Uh, at some point, we the people are going to quit tiptoeing around the reality that we either preserve our country where English is the language and that we, we, we could take in some immigration, but with a $22 trillion debt, $180 to $200 trillion in unfunded liabilities, artificial intelligence and robotics taking a number of jobs in the near future. From my point of view, and I've done shows on this, I actually don't think we need any immigration at this point. If you go back before the Immigration Nationality Act of 65, you know, after World War II, there, there, there were points where America said, you know, we actually will run you through Ellis Island, but we really don't need people right now unless you're really, you got, well, you got money, you're perfectly healthy, you've got a family here that's going to take you in. But in a, since, ever since the 60s, we, we apologize for being Europeans. Now people are apologizing for being white. We're apologizing for being Christians. And we're apologizing for saying we really don't need any more people. And uh, I've seen President Trump this week tiptoe around the immigration thing. He's tiptoe around the Buddha gauge with his homosexual husband on stage. And they're saying, isn't that great? <laughs> He goes, yeah, yeah, that's great. That's not great. That's, that's not great. You have people with gender dysphoria that are trying to influence children that are five years old. In California, the teachers have the ability to say, hey, hey kindergarten class, you might be a, a transgender or a homosexual. Let me explain to you what that is. So at some point we're going to say, I, I don't think we need immigration until we deal with the 40 million illegal aliens that are in our country the millions of uh, visa overstays that are in our country, the 60 to 80,000 additional H1 and H2 visas that were given out annually, the massive amount of chain migration. It it is a circus in California. You don't even, I mean, last night, my neighbors are illegal aliens. They started their music at seven o'clock and they played it till 11 o'clock this morning. Mariachi music, brand new housing track. Because that's how their culture does it in Mexico and Guatemala, and they don't—they don't care to be Americans. They want this neighborhood to become Guatemala. And I, if I drove oh, yeah. you around Fresno, California, I could take you to India, because that's where the Punjabi people—they come and they buy, and then they—they they buy new homes. And there was a poll that came out from Gallup last year, and they said, of all the countries, when they interview people, who are the most racist? And the people from the country of India, when the question was, would you be okay living on a neighborhood with someone who's not Indian? They said, absolutely not. So they come here and we're like, oh, well, we don't want to judge and we don't want to force them to learn English and we don't want to force them to assimilate. So we're just going to complain about it in our little groups and then we're going to let them just continue to buy up chunks of our country Russians are buying up big chunks of California. China is buying up larger chunks. India is buying up larger chunks. We are basically becoming the, the asset acquisition land for wealthy people from China, India, and other nations. 
In addition, we allow millions of low-skill low work, low workers to come up. And then the, the biggest problem the globalists have is, is when artificial intelligence robotics takes the jobs away from them, those 40 million people then get put onto the government dole, and that's when America could go bankrupt. So I, I, for me, if I was president, starting tomorrow, no immigration, period. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's one of those things where <laughs> it's like we have to start from scratch. Like we have to just, I mean, we have to clean house. I mean, you know, completely uh, redesign the entire plan, and that starts with getting everybody out. Don't you agree? You can't. See, here's the problem. There's, there's a million and a half to two million more people that are coming in the country this year from Mexico in Guatemala and El Salvador. So how can you how can you fix how can you fix your country when you have people on visa overstays at the colleges and the jobs not going home? Then they have children, their children become citizens because of anchor baby status. Then you have people through chain migration where a guy comes into Fresno or to Los Angeles or Phoenix and he He's here for a long enough time, gets his green card. He brings in 20 more people from his country. Then they have children. Their children are anchor babies. The, the reality, if we, if we either, and there's a saying I say on the show all the time, you either need to fight to be right and stop being liked or just give up. We, gotta, we need to stop being, trying to be liked by people. We have to be right. We have to stand on principle. We have to be compassionate where compassion is required. But most of the people, only 5% of the people that are seeking asylum are actually going to qualify. 95% of these people are just in the country, released, going with their family members, sneaking more people up, working with the cartel. You know, you saw 30% of the, of the people that they did a DNA test on at the border that had children, 30% of those children were not family members of those adults. Who are those children? Are they human trafficking? Are they being mal- so we we it's chaos, and there's no way to band-aid this thing. It's impossible. So we either say uh, it's chaos, stop the bleeding. We're going to we're, we're going to stop the hemorrhaging. We're going to fix the cancer. And I'm sorry, world, but you do not you're not entitled to be Americans. You're, there's no there's no global entitlement to get into our country. And the left would call you racist and anti-immigrant. I call it practical governance because we cannot afford to have another three to four, five million people not assimilating while we're dealing with 40 million people that are not assimilating. And we got people now that abortion is like getting a wart removed. That's how common they talk about it. So to say all that, if, if we don't, if we don't close, the, close it up and deport and fix it, if we partially do this, we are, we are toast. There's no, there's no practical way to kind of fix this problem. Yeah, I mean, it, it is one of those things. You're absolutely right. Uh, we do got to take a commercial here in a second, but uh, Kevin, Kevin, I'll let you have the last word. Go ahead. Oh, great. Well, there's absolutely nothing I disagree with with Eric's statement and such important and extremely valid uh, points brought up by everyone here today. And it's especially pertinent to realize that it's the problem that we have with especially being unable to contain 
and control all these uh, various uh, waves, just such large waves of immigrants that are coming into our country, um, that they're being sent truly all over the country through the Department of Homeland Security busing and through um, not just to the sanctuary cities, but truly all over. And uh, it really appalls me in the sense that we have here in Arizona, uh, especially Maricopa County, uh, we had a sheriff, Sheriff Joe Apayo. He was the number one um, sheriff we've had, and he's also specialized in this concept of creating these very cheap, efficient, easy-to-contain tent cities. And it, it appalls me that we don't have anything like that here in Arizona to contain these, these immigrants, that, that uh, we don't have this method of uh, being able to contain these immigrants that are coming in. I mean, Texas has been, but, you know, they're overfilling, and uh, they have the same problem with uh, sending it all throughout the country. Right. So uh, we got to remember, too, it's like we have all these different institutions. Uh, you, let it be the, the academic institutions that are bringing in immigrants through these visas. Well, it, it could be also these uh, very large, especially tech corporations, these multinationals that are bringing in immigrants on these uh, various yeah. visas. And, uh, you know, they, of course, want the cheap labor. They want the control. I mean, we have uh, an industrial revolution uh, coming up in the future on this whole automation and tech industry. So as it is going right now, uh, these tech companies, are specializing in especially this uh, concept of the sharing economy. Uh, that could be anywhere from like these food delivery services, delivering anything essentially, or um, even in um, uh, driving. Like uh, uh, so, we have we have an automation uh, boom coming up, and uh, so all these low-skilled laborers are going to essentially be, um, you know, either. Uh, replacing uh, the Native Americans, uh, uh, and by that I mean like American citizens, and uh, or they'll be put on the, the welfare system, and America is going to be a defaulting welfare state. So what's really important that we got to realize too is that uh, we're reaching a point where our jobs are filling up, and they're going to be centralized with these very large, extremely huge transnational corporations that do not care about our, our nation or our national well-being or, or our people. So uh, if something's not done about it very soon, uh, we have major problems coming up in the future. So uh, yeah. I, I can't assure enough about what, what Eric has said, too. He's, uh, a real problem if Trump doesn't fix it. And uh, I always right. ask people, you know, uh, what we got, we got to go to commercial. Ten seconds and we got to go to commercial. Yeah, what I say is a hot-button issue for me is always going to be immigration, and so I, I really hope that uh, Trump really stresses this. Yep, perfect. Uh, we will uh, be right back, everybody, with our guests. Where can you find a burger inspired by flavors from near and far that mixes the smoky with the sass of the South? Combines the sweetness of summer with the tang of the country. For savory, sizzling, unexpected flavors. Well, you can find it at McDonald's. The new Bacon Smokehouse Burger. It's the newest flavor of the signature crafted recipes by McDonald's. TGI Friday's famous sizzling entrees that you know and love, like chicken, shrimp, and cheese, just got even hotter. With new delicious tastes like whiskey flat iron steak and the tastiest sizzling street noodles. Hurry in. Now starting at only $10. We bring the sizzle like no other. New sizzling entrees starting at $10. TGI Friday, the home of endless apps. Endless apps every night, 9 p.m. to close. 
And we are back. The Rory Sauter Show. Listen to it in 23 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past shows, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit our media site, the next, N-E-X, Gen, G-E-N, USA, dot com. Um, and we will be having many notable names starting their own shows on the network in the coming weeks, and I will be announcing details about that soon. Uh, I do want to welcome to the show uh, DC insider, lobbyist, political activist, and founder of the Liberty Institute, Andrew Langer. Andrew, how are you? Welcome to the show. Uh, it's good to be on, Rory. Thanks for having me. So your, your, first, your first time on, and I always like to ask my guests when they first come on, you know, about your backstory, how it all started for you, the, the different uh, achievements you've had in life, the different stages, how you got to where you are today, that sort of good stuff. Well, sure. I mean, listen, I um, I talk a lot about this. I, you know, I come to my free market, limited government, conservo-libertarian views uh, from my ardent anti-communism from when I was a teenager. And I uh, got into this world because I wanted to – I was a Soviet studies major in college, wanted to fight communism on a professional level, and then the Soviet Union – disappeared in the middle of my junior year, and the intelligence services stopped hiring. So I was uh, sort of off doing other things. I wound up linking up with a, uh, a blind attorney who his specialty was environmental policy and regulatory policy, but most importantly, constitutional law and property rights. And I was literally reading the law to him eight uh, to ten hours a day. And I did that job for three years, worked on a lot of cases, and, and cemented my interest in a whole host of issues, not the least of which is uh, uh, property rights issues and Western lands issues, so, you know, places like Arizona and Nevada and New Mexico, et cetera, uh, and the impact that uh, federal land ownership has had on these states. And so over the last you know, 25 years, uh, I have been uh, working on all, all of these issues. It, the, the organization is actually called the Institute for Liberty, the Liberty Institute is now the First Liberty Foundation. Um, uh, so I don't want to make sure I want to make sure nobody gets us confused with them. They're an, uh, an awesome organization dealing with religious liberty, but we are we are a free market, limited government uh, think tank focused largely on federal public policy, some state issues. Uh, a lot of it having to do with regulation and cronyism, uh, property rights, uh, etc. Um, I've been doing that now uh, for, oh, good Lord, it's uh, 11 years with IFL. I was with the National Federation of Independent Business for a few years, the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And then I also host a radio show on WBAL News Radio 1090 in Baltimore uh, every Saturday morning. You can find that, uh, you can find that on, on the WBAL app. Wow, man. So you're a, you're a, you're a, a, jack, a many, jack of many trades, I tell you. Well, I mean, listen, I, I, you know, the, the, the radio issue is something I've been fascinated with uh, since I was a kid. I, I started working with WBAL about uh, eight years ago, and it's, it's um, I, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that I live in Virginia and BAL's in Baltimore, I'd probably be on five days a week. But, but certainly I, um, I appreciate the flexibility in being able to continue to work on important issues from an advocacy perspective. Uh, technically, I'm not a lobbyist I, I, because I'm I no longer uh, am registered to lobby. We really are about uh, research and education, uh, really getting out there and talking about issues, not on the strict lobbying sense, but really trying to get folks motivated 
uh, to get active themselves. Okay, very cool. So what what are some of your latest projects? Well, I mean, this is part of the reason why you and I are talking is, is uh, you know, it, things have a way of circling back. Uh, uh, the issue of private property rights is, is one of in, in, in enormous importance to me. And, you know, that and tied into other things like cronyism uh, and good governance. Uh, and, you know, one of the great things about the, the, the current administration is that they have taken a very pro-private property rights stance on things. That's fantastic. And, a, you know, emblematic by their treatment of uh, the, the, you know, the Bundy family, Clive and Bundy and his family and their ranch in Oregon, um, you know, both, uh, uh, you know, allowing them to, you know, giving them the permits to act and pardoning them. These are all very important things. For those of you who don't remember, uh, this is uh, this is the father and son ranchers who were being harassed uh, by uh, by the Interior Department and other agencies under the Obama administration. Uh, essentially, their their ranch was being forced to shut down, and a bunch of activists took over the uh, the, the headquarters of a, of a wildlife refuge. And, and if you if you had followed Western lands issues for any period of time, you knew that this was just, you know, these, these things these things happen from time to time. Uh, this goes back, well, I mean, it goes back into the into the 19th century, but we don't have to go back quite that far. But in the in the 1970s, especially the early 1970s, then into the 1980s, uh, there was a, a as the major federal regulatory issues uh, or the major federal regulatory programs were being expanded. Um, Folks out west, you know, are feeling the pinch. You know, you get states like Nevada, uh, which is a 86% owned by the federal government. I don't remember what Arizona is, but it's up there. And all of a sudden, the federal government becomes almost a, a partner in a, any kind of outdoor activity, any kind of outdoor business. And so we saw flare-ups from time to time in the 80s and then the 90s. Uh, and, and so, you know, it was no great surprise uh, that when the Obama administration came in, when the Obama administration came in and looked at uh, folks in rural America as backwards people who want to cling to their Bibles and their guns, it was only a matter of time before there was going to be some kind of uh, tension erupting. You know, in the 1990s, we saw it happen in Nye County, Nevada, uh, the third largest county in the United States, uh, when a county commissioner frustrated. Uh, over the fact that a major road in the county had been closed down for months because of the U.S. Forest Service, he got on a bulldozer and bulldozed open the road. So we, we've seen this happen. So here we are. The Bundys are back in business. Uh, they're getting the right permits from the uh, the feds, and all of a sudden the enviros turn around and challenge them. Uh, and, and so that's sort of the, the, the overarching story uh, about the enviros pushing back, but this leads into – the more important issue, um, not actually, I shouldn't say more important issue, but the, the more the pressing issue that's happening, uh, which is you know how intellectual intellectual property rights and rights to contract are being uh, uh, preyed upon, I should say, by the cronyist impulses. And so part of the reason why I wanted to come on with you, Rory, is that there is a, a, some legislation that's been winding its way through Arizona. It's winding its way through other states as well. Uh, in which um, state auto dealers, unhappy with their ability to uh, gain whole access to uh, database management systems, and I want you to stay with me for a second, 
they have turned to the various state legislatures to try and change the rules of the game. And so imagine this. Imagine if you are a land property owner. Somebody comes to you and they want to negotiate for access to your property, or they have access to your property, but they want to change the rules of the game. And you say no, as is your right to do. So what this, uh, uh, what this contractor does is turns around and petitions the state legislature to change the rules to force you to give access to your property. And, and that's what we're seeing, as I said, in, in, in places like Arizona in Oregon, in North Carolina, in other states as well, uh, where you know these uh, uh, auto dealers are are trying to uh, trying to use their power and influence uh, to gain access to property that they otherwise didn't have access to. Wow, I mean you're you're dealing with some very extensive uh, hardcore hardcore stuff. I mean this is it's insane. I mean it, it really is all this. What people can have access. I mean, it's just it's insane. Well, let me let me let me let me let me be really clear. And and it's you know it's one of these things where I was having a conversation with somebody recently. And we have to remember that there are no there are no simple answers to things anymore. Things are things are, you know, it is 2019 and issues are very complex without a doubt. But but what happens is this. So you have a, a company that develops uh, a data management system. And they uh, they offer licensing, as is the way it works in the software world, right? But, you know, now nobody nobody goes out and sells floppy disks anymore. I don't know if you are if that's before your time. That's certainly well within my time. You you don't go and and buy a floppy disk. What you do is you get a license to use a particular piece of software, and whoever licenses that software usage to you gets to set the terms for how it's used. And they do this for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is to protect their intellectual property, and that's important. Um, but when you're talking about data management, then you get into issues of, of consumer privacy and who has access to that information. And that's obviously a, a vital element of this. So if someone is going to be held liable for a breach in data, uh, then they want to make sure that they can have as much control over who has access to it. And so, obviously, if you are someone who is uh, uh, getting licenses uh, to software, well, you want to get the best deal for you. So you want to see, you want to get as many people to get access to those licenses as possible. But of course, that waters down the value of the license. And so, it's up to the folks who are doing the licensing to be able to set those terms. And so, the real problem we have is you know is situations in which people want to use and this is the very definition of cronyism people want to use their power money and influence uh, to change those rules so in Arizona it's uh, it's house bill uh, 2418 uh, is the one that we're talking about here and that that has passed I'm not sure it's passed through the Senate it may be going through but if you know folks are curious I mean we you know we're, we're there are places online where we uh, uh, we're, we're we're talking about this. In fact, I'll, I'll pull up that. Uh, I need to pull up that link, uh, so you know where where so folks can know where to go. Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd love that. And uh, you know, <laughs> speaking of communism, you, you know, you're you're a guy that really you know speaks out against it and, and fight fights against it. What what are your thoughts on on what the left is doing? Uh, you know, with how they've you know taken their party. And just completely uh, gone the the communism socialism route, and it's not even a there's no moderates left. I mean, it's 
It's either you're on the far left or you're you're on the side of Trump. Well, here, here's the, here's the, here's my first question, Rory. Are, are we allowed to offer up uh, Game of Thrones spoilers? Are we okay with that here, or do I have to do I have to be cautious about this? There, there might be there might be some people on the line that have not seen it, or, or people. Right, I will I be know, I will though. be as oblique I will be as oblique as possible then. So there is okay. in Sunday's episode. If you've seen it, if you haven't seen it, in the series finale, there is a really interesting conversation that Tyrion Lannister and Jon Snow have about what is motivating Daenerys Targaryen. And if you, if you listen to this conversation, it is very clear, whoever, and I don't know if this is intentional on the part of the author of the episode or not, but it is very clear that what Tyrion Lannister, this really isn't giving anything away, um, but it is clear that Tyrion Lannister is talking about, or at least in my mind, the, the, the folks who are putting this, these words into Tyrion Lannister's mouth, they're talking about communism. Um, where you have folks who are so focused on uh, reaching some kind of utopia in their minds that if you wind up – if you are opposed to their view of utopia, then you are opposed to them, and therefore you must be destroyed. Um, and that, that's not giving anything away. And, and it is a situation in which, yes, you have folks who are you know, out and out trying to trying – to, destroy the social order. Um, but then you have folks who are trying to create these utopian societies that are completely detached from reality. And as my father says, and this is a good maxim, there are many roads to utopia. All, however, must traverse the surface of the earth. A- and so reality uh, tends to intrude on these things. And, and so when you get the, uh, the, and I guess you know, AOC is the prime example of this, when you get AOC and Bernie Sanders talking about capping credit card rates and making uh, post offices into lending institutions, you know, they don't see what the unintended consequences are. Or if they do, then, well, that's, that's almost worse. But I, I tend to think that they don't. They don't realize that by capping credit card rates as a way of eliminating risky lending, that the people who, who are hurt are those who, whose credit rating, uh, you know, uh, uh, credit scores are the most marginal who are trying to rebuild their credit, and then everybody else has their credit rates go up as a result. And, and so that's, you know, it, it is a situation in which there is a certain degree of, I think, um, ignorance. There's a certain degree of naivete. Uh, there's a certain degree of certainly about control. Uh, I had a, had a discussion with somebody on, on social media tonight, in fact, uh, about The Handmaid's Tale and, and why that is a preposterous piece of fiction yet you know it is it is essentially uh, you know progressive fetishization of the right and, and and you know so so there is there is that aspect of it but again none of it none of it really has um is centered on reality it is centered on trying to give away a bunch of stuff to get a bunch of votes from people yeah and there's no you know there really is no substance uh, in the Democratic Party. You know, I've never been a fan of the Democratic Party, but at least at one point, they had some sort of substance. They had something going for them. Now they have nothing except offering free stuff with taxpayer money and just every sort of anarchy you can think of. It's disgusting. I mean, how, how, how did it get here? 
Well, I mean, it certainly it gets it gets refined over time. I mean, that's very true. And as America gets more polarized, and and as the Democratic Party moves to further and further to the left, you get these things. But but you know, yeah. here's here's the thing that keeps me that keeps me sane and 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 happy, is that you know, time and again, we've seen the American people, for the most part, um, mm-hmm. they look at the this kind of craziness, and it does not jive for them. It does not make any sense for them. And also, it's the same reason why we saw. Uh, you know, Australians turn away uh, the, the the leftist coalition in in their recent mm-hmm. elections. You know, their elections over the weekend is because you know they they the, the same uh, Australian voter looked at the idea of their energy costs going up and their taxes going up, and they said, "Yeah, we don't want this. This is this is this is not the way we ought to do things." And, and so, you know, and I see that here on occasion when you get the AOCs of the world. Talking about how we shouldn't have to have billionaires bail out college students. Listen, I agree with that a lot of it. Um, but you know, maybe we shouldn't have universities that are building lazy rivers and are offering up uh, free uh, laundry detergent and fabric softener to kids. Uh, you know, maybe college would cost less if so many things at college weren't being offered, quote unquote, free of charge. Yeah. Oh, you're you're absolutely right, and. You know, uh, we know the the left knows what they're doing, and their sheep eat it up. They eat it up. And it's the same sort of thing with this, you know, uh, these phony narratives like like Russia. You know, that's just the the left just uses that as a distraction. I mean, they use all of these evil things that have no merit, have no legitimate uh, evidence or anything. I mean, but they go with it because they know – that, uh, like I said, their sheep eat it up. Well, remember, I mean, it, it's 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 standard tactics to accuse your enemy of that uh, uh, which you are guilty, and that's but to this extreme, you know, classic though? Joseph Goebbels. Well, I'm sorry, say that again, Rory. To this extreme, though, I know it's been common in the past, but have we ever seen it to this extreme? Well, no. I mean, listen, the, the you know this 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 is like to this extreme, no. I remember that the the roots of this, some of this has root in uh, uh, the aftermath of the 2000 election, right? Where yep. where a, a certain portion of the democratic psyche was damaged as a result. Um, right. But what we're seeing now is the aftermath of the 2016 election, where the Democrats and the, the progressives, I should say, cannot yes. fathom why Hillary Clinton lost. And so they have to create this worldview in which there are Russian boogeymen who did this. Not to say Russians are good, but you know we can spend some time talking about that at some point. But the reality is they have to be able to square this uh, um, this worldview uh, with right. with their own beliefs. Right, right. And you know how do you how do you compare what's going on now to some of the things you've seen in the Soviet Union? And the stuff you've seen over the years. Well, I mean, listen. I, I, I think obviously there's there there are a great many cautionary tales there. Um, yeah. You know, Margaret Thatcher has, has all sorts of maxims here. You know, the, uh, the you, when you rob right. Peter to pay Paul, you will always have the consent of Paul. Uh, but the other one is the government that is big enough to give you everything is powerful enough to take it all away. And we always have to guard against that. We always have to guard against the tipping point. Where more people are taking than are making, which is what Rand warned, not Rand Paul, but Anne Rand warned us about in Atlas Shrugged. If folks haven't seen it, uh, Anne Rand and the Prophecy of Atlas Shrugged is a great documentary that came out uh, 
oh, five, six years ago. I, I highly recommend that. Yeah, and you you've gone you've gone in front of Congress and testified about a bunch of you know communism tactics that a lot of these politicians are using, correct? Well, I haven't testified on that. I, when I testify before Congress, it's generally been about the regulatory state, um, which right. you know we saw double under under the Obama administration, and, and thankfully, uh, a lot of our recommendations are are being implemented by the current administration. It's part of the reason why we have. Uh, such sustained economic growth is that we've gotten a handle on the regulatory state. But remember, you know, it, it, you know, some of this also stems from the idea of a guy named Henry Silverglade who wrote a book called Three Felonies a Day. Uh, the bigger government is, the more rules and regulations the government has, uh, the more fragile all of our individual rights are. Because as Laurenti Berry, again, taking now taking a lesson from the, you know the Soviet Union. Uh, Lavrenti Berry, who was the head of the Russian secret police, said, uh, "Show me the man, and I will show you the crime." Um, you know, we are in a society where, if they, where any prosecutor uh, can can essentially accuse you of anything. Right, right, yeah, yeah, true, very true. So, uh, and listen, I, I also highly recommend, in that regard, a great movie called *The Death of Stalin*, which, if you haven't seen it, is it's one of the be- it was one of the best movies of last year. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely have to see that. Uh, Dr. Branch, go ahead. Yes, hey Andrew, great talking hey. with you tonight. Um, I like what you've done. I, I enjoy the uh, the, the blind uh, attorney uh, that you work for, uh, like Daredevil. I thought that was pretty cool. So, but I do want to, I do want to uh, talk to you about the work that you've done on land issues. Uh, sure. I ran. I, I live here in Phoenix, Arizona. And I ran for superintendent of public instruction for the state of Arizona. That's the highest executive office in education for Arizona. One of my platforms was um, bringing back uh, the land to the people of Arizona from the federal government. What a lot of people don't understand is, and you brought up a point about Nevada. Now, Arizona is about three times the size of Ohio. 18.1% 18.1% is privately owned. Uh, roughly 27% is tribal land. Uh, uh, what, 12%, 13% is state trust land. But 42% is uh, between the five government agencies. Now, a lot of people say, well, 42% doesn't sound high, but when you figure when you have uh, 114,000 square miles, that 14 or 42% represents about 28,000 square miles. That is larger than the size well, of Pennsylvania listen, that let's, let's, the federal let me, government let me, owns. Let me let me just let me just interrupt you for a second and, and say, listen, let's 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 make it really let's make it really clear. When you have a city like Tombstone, and Tombstone loses their, their you know a a pipe a water carrying pipe breaks on federal land. And the city of Tombstone has to get out buckets and have a bucket brigade in order to provide water to the city. That's a problem, and that's a problem that is all stemming from federal land ownership and control, and having to go 2,000 miles away, 3,000 miles away, uh, to get uh, land use management decisions. I'm sorry, I'm sorry for interrupting, but I, but I want to make I want to make that start. But but you're absolutely right. We see this all the time in this state. 
you know, you, you, I'm the uh, uh, commissioner of park and recreations for Maricopa County. Our lakes, we're not even allowed to touch our lakes because they're on federal land. But yeah. when they come into the city, then we have water rights. So, you know, a proposition is if we owned our land out here in Arizona and you figure that the federal government owns owns a chunk of land larger than the size of Pennsylvania here in Arizona, the amount of taxes we could generate, the use that we can get from that land, the, the, the resources that we could have, this state here would never have to accept the federal so, dime again. Sure. So here's here's what you bump up against is is so so back when Arizona became a state in in Arizona's enabling act, uh, it signed over the Arizona territory signed over the uh, the rights to all unappropriated public lands to the federal government. Now they did that with an expectation that those public lands were going to be sold. If you go and you read through the verbiage of the enabling act. It's very clear that there was an obligation that the federal government had to dispose of those lands. The problem is that in 1979, a law was passed called the Federal Land Policy and Management Act uh, in which um, that duty to dispose – Congress essentially declared uh, that they were going to retain all of those unappropriated public lands that they had promised to sell. Now, I don't don't believe anybody has ever challenged that as a violation of – the contract, the contractual obligations that were entered into, but you know somebody ought to look into that. And, and you know the great thing is that out in Arizona, you've got a you've got a, a whole bunch of, of good property rights scholars and lawyers out there who might want to take a look at the moon. Okay? But that's what that's what you're that's what you're bumping up against. You're bumping up against the Federal Land Policy and Management Act, and and what FLIPMA, as the attorneys call it, has done is it has made it almost impossible to convey federally owned land back in the private hands. And we don't even know what all the federal government owns. And let's be really clear here. There has not been a federal real property survey. And by real property, I mean land property. There has not been a federal real property survey ever conducted. So we really don't know what the federal government actually owns. It's incredible. It's incredible. Um, yeah, because I, I look at that, you know, and, and you mentioned about education, the high cost of education. You know, when you look at the federal government in the state of Arizona, we have roughly about a million two children K-12. Federal government puts in roughly around one point uh, or $1,200 per student uh, from the Department of Education or, you know, roughly $1.5 billion dollars. But the mandates that come down from the federal government uh, dictate about 95% of what happens in the classroom with the No yeah. Child Left Behind Act and stuff like this. I want to get us out of the federal government controlling our state education system. One of the ways that I propose to do that is to have our land back so that we can generate our own revenue for that land. Well, and that's and that's again yeah. going back to the State Enabling Act. That was, that was part of the deal was that was that the the proceeds of the sale of this land, the percentage was supposed to be given over for educational purposes. You know, it's it's interesting because uh, some of this, uh, depending on who becomes president next, some of this, uh, you know, if a, the next Republican who becomes president, some of the Department of Education, more of it is going to be uh, chipped away at. 
Um, but it, you know, it, it just as as, a, as an interesting little side note, so you all know, I don't know how you, if you were following this um, um, this adversity scoring that they're talking about with the SAT, the big story at the end right. of last week. The guy who was proposing that at the College Board, which is the organization that administers the SAT, he is one of the godfathers of Common Core. Uh, the organization that he was with previously, that he ran previously, was the ones who crafted and were pushing Common Core in the schools. It's amazing how these folks keep coming back. Yeah, yep. Uh, Kevin, Kevin, go ahead. Oh, yes. Uh, well, thank you so much for being on, Andrew Langer. I, I mean, it's incredible uh, insight you've given us so far, and I know exactly what you mean about uh, that godfather of uh, Common Core that you, you mentioned that's pushing now um, an, an education on this uh, stats testing that's now uh, putting, uh, what is it, uh, the backgrounds and ethnicity and uh, was it um, economic factors, essentially a, a much more, uh, a much stronger affirmative action on our education system, which, of course, is the opposite of what it means to be a uh, merit-based uh, education. So um, it's uh, it's terrible that's happening. And I, so I really want to hear from you exactly about, um, you know, what steps could it could like a regular person um, take in order to try to uh, save us essentially from uh, federal control and get our land back and our state sovereignty back. Well, listen, I, I think there, there, there have been a variety of movements. Again, there are organizations, I don't even know what's, what's still uh, in existence in Arizona that's dealing with these federal lands issues. But there has long been um, – oh I'm trying to think of the name of the organization, the Pacific Northwest. Uh, it, folks should Google a guy named Ron Arnold. Um, he, he wrote the book on this, I, I'm, oh God, and I'm trying to think. <laughs> the other folks who are involved are sort of – oh, Chuck Cushman. Um, uh, Chuck Cushman, C-U-S-H-M-A-N. Uh, getting in touch with either Chuck or Ron, to me, would be the smartest thing to do, sort of put you in touch with the folks down in Arizona who are working on these things. Uh, a good lawyer okay. up in Idaho named Mark Pollitt, P-O-L-L-O-T. Mark uh, authored President Ronald Reagan's executive order on regulatory takings, the whole property rights thing. You know, all of these folks are, are skilled. What's great now in that we didn't have, uh, you know, 20 years ago as some of this stuff would come to the forefront, is that we now have another two uh, two decades of lawyers who've been educated by the federal society, and so finding conservative land rights attorneys in Arizona is an easier thing. Getting them together and formulating a strategy is the way that I would go about doing it. Perfect. Great. Uh, let's go to Eric. Eric, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think there's there's so much internal stuff going on like that with municipalities and governments and land. And I, I think I think for people like me, I'm I'm so focused on immigration and education that I'm glad there's people like him out in the market because I I don't have an internal drive to go defend it or research it. So. Um, no, I mean those are these type of discussions are really important when we are Americans and we are trying to live by law, you know, and to to have a limited government. And so this argument with the Tenth Amendment and the size of the federal government should be a something that we talk about on a regular basis. But because of the invasion, 
because of the abuse of the H1 and H2 visa process, because of the outlandish spending from our government and the Marxists coming out of our colleges. Um, I, I, no, I, I, I appreciate everything that you guys are talking about. I just am so not in, up to speed on it that I'm just listening and taking notes. Well, let me, let me sure. try the two of them together real quick because, you know, the other aspect of it is the more, the more land that the federal government does control in this regard, um, then the more situations, right, they're, they're, federal lands are managed for different purposes. Um, and, and most of it is supposed to be utilized for some kind of um, highest, best, you know, resource use. So whether it's lumbering or whether it's grazing or what have you, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of the uh, mineral extraction, it's supposed to be used for, for those kinds of things. But then you get folks like Raul Grijalva who want to take lands that are being managed by the, uh, the, uh, the, the U.S. Forest Service, which is the Division of the Agriculture Department, or lands administered by the Bureau of Land Management in the Department of the Interior, and they want to make those lands into wilderness lands. And we all know, you know, in places like Arizona, a wilderness has a very specific designation. A wilderness area is not supposed to have any kind of motorized vehicle access to it, which makes it very difficult to control. And when you've got guys like Roe Grijalva wanting to uh, build, you know, wanting to create massive amounts of wilderness areas along the borders, what he's talking about is creating avenues whereby folks can migrate across the border illegally. And, and, and we all know this. If you, you know, there, the times that I've been out to Tucson, you, and you make that drive from Phoenix down to Tucson, uh, there's one town that is like at the intersection of, um, uh, of uh, what is it, I-15 and, and I-10. And it, it is, you're not supposed to start to stop in that town because it is all under the control of, of a variety of cartels. Uh, I mean, because it's right at the edge of a valley that folks come right up uh, through the wilderness area up the border. So, I mean, my point is, you know, this federal lands issue, if there was more privately owned land, more of this could get dealt with, and you wouldn't have the Raul Grijalvas of the world trying to turn uh, more uh, resource-extractive lands into wilderness areas. Uh, Daryl, go ahead. Then we got to go to a commercial. Daryl, go ahead. Yeah, so I'll, I'll keep it brief. And, Andrew, uh, very, very interesting topics and, and discussion and really exciting to have you on here and have an opportunity to speak with you. You're obviously extremely well-educated on these matters. I, I wanted to ask you would, you, would you consider yourself to be a libertarian? Well, I, it's funny. I, it's, been, it's been a long and involved uh, process. I used to consider myself a much, much stronger small-l libertarian. Uh, I, I do consider myself a conservatarian. I am, I am very libertarian on certain issues. I'm, I'm much, much more conservative now on other things because I think in, in areas like immigration, the libertarians have created a, a very unrealistic worldview. Now, I'm in favor of legal immigration. I'm in favor of, of enhanced certain areas, uh, you know, greater enhanced immigration in certain areas. But I'm also someone who is in favor of making sure that we have the strongest, most secure borders possible because it is an issue of who we are as a as a nation. Once you lose your borders, you lose the country. There's no point in having a country anymore. Um, right. So yeah, I, I consider myself. I do consider myself more of a conservative than a libertarian now, uh, and that's only because the, the the libertarians have really just sort of gone off the deep end. 
Right. And and kind of where I'm going with that question, I mean, I think you're already going in the direction where I'm going with this. I think one of the concerns that we have in the conservative movement now is that a lot of these libertarian principles, we look at the damage that the left has caused on this country, and it almost to certain degrees sort of exceeds the scope of the Constitution, at least in, in the opinion of, of some. Uh, you may differ on that. And I kind of wanted to pick your brain in terms of how far you know you allow things to go before you know you, you would look at things more creatively or, or a less rigidly constitutional approach, or you know do you think that there are adequate measures within the Constitution to fully protect against these these new realities that we're dealing with? So that was. Basically, what I wanted to pick your brain on was that well, kind listen, of dynamic, which I, I can I, sense from I, your answer that you're sort of hip to. Yeah, but listen, I, listen. I think I think we should always look to the Constitution first and foremost for for how we guide, you know, how how we guide ourselves on things. It is a great right. set of rules, especially because the, the reality is, it is supposed to apply to government both in terms of how government uh, uh, government um, exercises its powers, and then the further constraints on government. As, as a good friend of mine, uh, a guy named Horace Cooper is fond of saying the Constitution is not a suicide pact, and we have to keep that in mind here. Um, you know, here's, here's the reality. You know, we have to remember that we have gotten very far away from what the founders and the authors of the Constitution had intended in terms of the way our government was supposed to function. And, and as such, we, you know, we, have to, we have to return to those principles. And in some cases, it may depart from what is, you know, existing practice. But that's because those practices have have themselves um, diverged from what the intention was. And, I, and what I mean by that is, for instance, um, you know, Congress needs to do its job, and and we should, uh, we have to remember that we, you know, we don't want to have power vested in the federal executive branch that. We, I mean, there's power vested there, but we don't want to have a massive amount of power vested there because that power is after the abuse. And, and so a president telling Congress to do its job on things like DACA uh, is, you know, it's, that's not extra constitutional or unconstitutional. Well, anyway, so I just, yeah. it, it is, it to me is, is um, you know, we have to get stuff done. We have to remember the most important job the federal government has is uh, the, the Protecting us, defending our national security, uh, and yep. then and then making sure that our individual rights aren't preyed upon. We got we got to go to commercial, but uh, um, Daryl, do, do you have do you have another do you have a last question? No, I, that was that was where I was going with that, and that was a very insightful response, and I I appreciate it. I appreciate all of your your insight that you bring to the conversation tonight. Before we go to break, guys, please go check out uh, this Facebook.com slash Consumer Privacy Now. That's where we're talking about this right to contract issue, this, this issue that ties so well to the property rights issues. You don't want government dictating uh, who can gain access to your property, especially uh, when you've already negotiated something entirely different. Right. Uh, Andrew, I want to tell everybody where they can connect with you, and uh, we'll definitely have you back soon. Yeah, uh, IChooseLiberty.org is the website. You can also check us out at uh, Facebook.com slash IChooseLiberty. Uh, and, again, Facebook.com slash Consumer Privacy Now. Go check that out. Perfect. Uh, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, and uh, we'll definitely have you back soon. Sounds good. Thank you. We will be right back, everybody.
the Rory Sada Show. Packaging. I'm Ray, and I quit smoking with Chantix. I tried cold turkey. I tried the patch. They didn't work for me. I didn't think anything was going to work for me until I tried Chantix. Chantix, along with support, helps you quit smoking. Chantix reduced my urge to smoke. I needed that to quit. When you try to quit smoking, with or without Chantix, you may have nicotine withdrawal symptoms. Some people had changes in behavior or thinking, aggression, hostility, agitation, depressed mood, or suicidal thoughts or actions with Chantix. Serious side effects may include seizures, new or worse heart or blood vessel problems, sleepwalking, or allergic and skin reactions, which can be life-threatening. Stop Chantix and get help right away if you have any of these. Tell your health care provider if you've had depression or other mental health problems. Decrease alcohol use while taking Chantix. Use caution when driving or operating machinery. The most common side effect is nausea. I can't tell you how good it feels to have smoke behind me. Talk to your doctor about Chantix. Would you know what to do in the event of an active shooter, a terrorist attack, or an unforeseen altercation? Whether at home or in the workplace, SkyRace Security can train you and your employees how to defuse a potential violent situation. Our goal at SkyRace Security is to keep our clients safe. With our professional and experienced Israeli Defense Force trainers, we teach strategies for safety that may someday save lives. Sign up at SkyRaceSecurity.com for our workplace violence prevention and training classes or call 240-888-0682. Is video a part of your strategy for 2019? Hi, I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, your remote video production specialist. Using equipment you already own, I help you deliver high-value videos to your audience. From interviews and demonstrations to online meetings and trainings, I work with you to shape your stories and subjects that demonstrate your subject matter expertise. If you're a product specialist, sales executive, or business owner, we make video production simple and affordable. We do this so that you can make videos on a regular basis, whether it's daily, weekly, or monthly, to communicate about the topics and discussions that are important to you, your audience, and your business. To make your videos, we use HD video conferencing that allows you and your guests to connect to our studio from your home or office using your laptop, phone, or tablet. Once you and your guests have connected to our studio, we do all the rest. We take care of the TV graphics, the intro videos, the outro videos, the music, the behind-the-scenes production. Everything that it takes to either live stream or locally record your video for post-production editing to social media, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. If you're tired of seeing the empty balloon commercials that are being made by your competition's social media experts, give me a call. I work directly with you, the subject matter expert, to help shape your story and ideas in a professional and polished manner via video. If you're ready to take a deep dive on your expertise and showcase the essence of your business via video, give me a call or connect with me online. I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, the remote video production specialist, the doer's resource for online video production. And we are back, the Rory Sauter Show, coast to coast, worldwide, listened to in 23 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past episodes, or any 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit our media site, thenexgenusa.com. And remember, in the coming weeks, we will be having many notable people that will be doing their own shows. And I will be announcing it very, very soon. Um, I do want to welcome... Uh, we have a couple. We have a couple of guests on the line. Uh, first, I want to welcome 
very, very talented, smart guy uh, all over the media, Second Amendment advocate, gun spokesman, entrepreneur, musician, commentator, activist, and best-selling author, Dan Watts. Dan, how are you? Dan, you're cutting out. Dan? Oh, I think I got my bad. Dan, were you on mute? <laughs> yeah. I, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. You were on mute. My bad. How's it going, man? Hey, good. How are you? So great to be on your show again. Thank you. Thanks, man. I also I also want to welcome a retired homicide detective and criminal investigator, activist, and political commentator. And he want he doesn't want to reveal his real name. He will be going by an alias for safety reasons. But I'm just gonna call him by his first name and then 51, Chip 51, because Chip, you are Investigator 51, is what you go by on Twitter. So I'll just go by Chip 51. How's that? That's perfect. I go by at Investigator underscore 51 on Twitter. That's correct. Perfect, perfect. Well, guys, I'm glad you're here. Um, Dan, I want to go to you first. I, I want to ask you various things about these school shootings and all the violence recently. Uh, there, you know, and we talked about this week, a couple weeks ago when you came on the show, but the, the, the sadness and the reality of these shootings becoming the new norm you know, it's like, what what a crazy thing on our society. And now there was a story out in the, um, in the paper yesterday where a teacher was planting ammo and then called the police to try to stage a school shooting, and it was all caught on video. And when I yeah. saw this, it made me think how many of these shootings are scripted, how many are set up by certain insiders in our government. I, we can't be naive. We can't be, you know, clueless to this sort of, to these sort of things and about the possibility, especially when we see this sort of thing leaked on video. And, and uh, there's been other indications and signs on, on several occasions with, with past shootings like the Vegas shooting, uh, you know, all these, you know, Sandy, Sandy Hook. There, there are questions. There's unanswered questions that we don't have. And there's a lot of suspicion, you know what I mean, with with all of this. Well, yeah, so much, so much right there. What you just, uh, what you just brought up. First of all, I mean, the uh, the the uh, Las Vegas uh, killing was was something that was interesting to me because we didn't get much information out of that. The only thing that resulted from that was a ban on bump stocks. I didn't understand yeah. how that all played out. Um, so yeah, so I question that. Um, and that's you know, my and, point. And you have to, right when right yeah. when something like that happens, they go right to the political agenda. Oh, we're going to ban yeah. bump stocks. Like you know what I mean? It seems like it's planned. Right. Go ahead though. Sorry. It, it well, it does seem like that. You know, and you don't want to go. You don't want to go out too far on a limb and be, and and become that conspiracy theorist. But, but yeah. it's almost it's almost difficult to not consider the exact things that you're talking about. Um, because you're right, there's a lack of information that we're given, uh, yeah. and the media is right on it. They're capitalizing on it, and they're exploiting the kids, yeah. and they're exploiting the whole situation. And so, yeah, you're right. And then, you know, as far as the uh, as far as the, the 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 killings themselves, you know, I, I don't. It, it's disturbing that the political left 
can continue to push these policies like gun-free zones that get these kids killed. And nobody speaks out uh, against that. It's amazing. Uh, and you know the focus is always on the guns, but really this is policy. This is a this is a policy problem. This is mental health issues, uh, mm-hmm. to, uh, pharmaceutical drug issues. It's it's welfare dependency. It's gang violence. It's all sorts of stuff that's causing these killings and causing this human violence. Yet somehow they keep they manage to keep the focus on the gun, which really isn't the problem. So that's that's the stuff that I'm always speaking out against. I'm trying to shine that spotlight back on the real causes of human violence in this country. Right. Absolutely. A- absolutely. And I want to, I want to ask Chip, Chip, you're a, you're a retired homicide and, and criminal investigator. You know, what, what are your thoughts on, on all of what's going on with shootings becoming the new norm? And it seems like it's, you know, on a weekly basis and it's just like, Oh, it's whatever. Like, cause it just, it's like it keeps happening. Well, there's been shootings all throughout the country for years. It's just being brought to light through the media. Uh, it's not the person to have the license to carry the firearm, the problem. It's the people that are carrying the firearms. So you can not ban firearms because they're just going to buy them illegal. And when they buy them illegal, the prices go up. A good example is what we're bringing in over the border. MS-13's coming in here. They don't shake your hand. They're going to see the knife you. You take away the guns. They're going to blow you up. They're going to stab you. So this violence is being uh, brought into the country. It's just multiplying. Uh, the left does have a different view on it. Uh, they always want to seem to point the finger at the person that is, has the license to carry the firearm. 99% of the people that are doing these uh, horrendous crimes aren't aren't qualified to get a firearm ID or a firearm license. And the other caller just mentioned about the no-gun zone. Well, that's good. to put the no-gun zone picture up, and they walk in with guns and shoot people. They know nobody's on the other side of the fence with the guns. So right. this is a yeah. problem that's going to be happening in the future if somebody doesn't put a stop to it. Uh, they're going to make the country more insecure. They're going to have sanctuary cities hiding these criminals, harboring them, and giving them the right to speak up and sue police, sue the government, anybody that wants to question them for their identification. You can't even ask them for a driver's license. Now they're getting them in states. They're going to give them to them when they're illegal. So imagine when they get the firearms. They already have them. Let me clue you in. There's more firearms illegal in the country than there are legal ones. You better be thankful that the people around here have licenses to carry because they're the ones that will protect you. The people that don't have their firearms uh, uh, licenses are the ones that are going to shoot you. And the crime is going to get worse until they take the handcuffs off the police. They are, they are watching the police to do things. They try their best out in the street. Nobody wants to give them the backing that they deserve. They, how many police, how many people will go out there and risk putting a take a bullet for, for a stranger? The police do that every day. And what do they get yeah. for, what do they get for thanks? People pointing the finger at them that they did something wrong. And I'll talk about the deep state in a minute, how they protect them. It's, it's, it's amazing that the country is going in this direction. That's why we have Trump. That's why we have the Republicans that are common sense. We have these other people walking around that are nonsense, that want to give away our rights, give away our freedom, and give away our Constitution. That's the problem. They want to take away the Constitution. And speaking, speaking of the deep state, you know, I, I brought up – a little bit ago, and, and you you obviously heard that 
you know, it seems like these things are, are – some of them are scripted for political purposes, and, you know, that kind of stuff gets set up by the deep state, right? Exactly. Let me give you a quick example of how far it goes and just one. I've done some notes so I, I, I can share it with you. We're going to be hearing a lot about Rod Rodstein. I'll get into it a little bit further with you. Does anybody really know who his wife is? His wife is Lisa Brumison, and she's a deep state lawyer for the CIA. That's correct, yeah. for the CIA. And she, yeah. unlike cabinet posts, the SS employees are exempt from termination and congressional confirmation. They're also right. unelected and unaccountable. So the deep state created the senior executive service to create a permanent bureaucracy. So this is going to continue when the deep state and, the, and, and, and they do all their little magic here. So... As a matter of fact, if you go into her background, she's a Clinton. Uh, she protects the Clintons, and also she has a work email address with the National Institute of Health. But if you go to the building and you go on the floor directory, she's not even listen, list, listed there. If you knock on the door or you call, ask her if she works there, they don't even know who she is. So those are the kind of records they have. They cover up the deep state. Now we're going to be involved with Rodstein and his wife works for the CIA. You talk about connections; it's all over the all over the place. I can give you some more examples, but I don't know how many minutes we have left. They're all over connected. Uh, the, yeah, we have a, we have media. a while left working. Yeah, we're good. Oh, okay. Well, they they, they do a number of number of things. Uh, I'm going to get into it a little bit deeper for you. Uh, the opposite general. Quick, I want to ask you. I want to ask you on the sure. side uh, side question: William Barr reviewing. All, all of the intelligence gathering before the FBI opened the probe. As an investigator, do you think he's going to find a lot of stuff and put a lot of these people away, or you wouldn't count on it? I'm going to tell you somebody's going to pay the Bob bill, okay? It's going to happen. They're now crashing each other. They're in, uh, take a lawyer, uh, Baker, from the FBI, who's in trouble. They're all going to yeah. use the word criminal intent. They're saying that they made mistakes, but they intended not to do it. So they're all going to get together with all, most of them are lawyers to use this to, to bamboozle the media. And yes, he's going to be able to scratch the surface. It's the 302s. Remember the 302s, the FBI people that really put their life on the line, the workers that see what's going on. They've made the reports. Don't be surprised if some of them are missing. I'll give you another example. Director Ray, is walk, he's gone around the whole country to every FBI office telling people that you know and I know. The, the words he says is protect the brand. Now think about that. He's not telling them to go out and get crime. He's telling them to protect the brand, which he's trying to tell them that the ship may be sinking and they want them to plug the holes, not to talk. There's so many FBI agents that are going to come forward that they're going, to, they're going to scratch their heads when they start telling the truth, especially when they tell them that they deep-sixed their reports. They've even fixed some of the reports. This is a deep state that going, you're going to see Barr scratch against it. Once he gets in there, Barr is a very, very educated lawyer, and he's got Berman coming out of, out of uh, Connecticut who dealt with organized crime and put a former FBI official in jail, Connolly. He's got him on the trail. He's already been on the trail, and people didn't know about that. These people are going to have sleepless nights. They're going to face indictments with Barr, and they're going to go to jail. And Clinton should be rolling around on her head because she's going to be picked up in the middle of this. She's involved with the deep state big time. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I, I hear, I hear you. I and you, you said that this deep state. I mean, it goes, it goes deep and deep and deep. I mean, it, it goes forever because it's so built up, right? Well, look at Mueller and Wiseman. Look what they did to Enron, and, and, and they got caught to Merrill Lynch, where the judge turned them in for hiding exploratory evidence for hiding it. They got caught. They put people in jail. Wiseman is a, let me just say this, you could make a beautiful Christmas present for your wife, and Wiseman will change that into a story that you committed a crime. He's, he, he, is, he has that knowledge and the perception and in, in the indecent way of doing that. He did that to people in Enron. He's doing that with Trump. Look at part two of the, of the Mueller uh, report. That's all Wiseman. That's how they do it. If they can't get them one way, they're going to character assassinate them with the media. They're into the media so bad that their relatives work in the media. People don't understand they're crossed. Some of the media people work in, in the government and vice versa. Their families swap over. That's where they get the power of the media. That's why the Democrats are so powerful, because their relatives are either in the government and vice versa. The government people are in the media. That's why it's going on. So Wiseman and Mueller is, is a perfect example how they created crimes, indicted four Americans in Merrill Lynch case, and put them in jail. One of them that they put in solitary confinement till, they, till he composed, meaning he had to say what they wanted to get out of there. Then they went after their family for tax evasions. They made everybody's life miserable, cost them to lose their homes. They do things that normal people don't want to see or hear about, and the media keeps covering them up. Mm. Wiseman is, is the poster boy for prosecutional misconduct because Mueller has a role in handpicking him for the head of the Enron Task Force, and he was the head of the team on the Mueller team. Mueller got permission to make it, and Wiseman was the one that appointed everybody in there. So when they go to question him, when Barr goes to that team, do you really think yeah. they're going to show all the records? You, no. They've already no. been told to protect the brand. They've been given the message. There's going to be yeah. things that the 302s are going to be missing, mark my words. The only thing they're right. in trouble with now is some of the FBI people that have retired are suing them for getting records. And, and, and this is going to happen with Judicial Watch. You're going to see former FBI employees, some that have talked to my friends, are telling me they're waiting for the opportunity to blow the whistle on them. They don't like what they're doing. It's not, the, it's not the people that put their life on the line. It's the echelon, the higher command in the FBI that's doing this to people. And judges cover them up. Let me tell you a quick story about Judge Butana. Judge, Judge Tanya Chutkin, she was appointed by Obama to stack the deck. She was never even a trial judge. She's got three of the most top scandals in D.C. assigned to her. Okay? She had Marina Buta. Fusion GPS and Irma Rawan. Now, why would you give her something like that? I'll tell you right now. Because she got appointed Obama, like I told you, to pack the D.C. court. Okay? And also, she got involved with the GPS, the uh, Fusion GPS. She, she wouldn't allow the checks. She prevented it. The court ordered that they couldn't get the checks. The, GPS was, the Fusion GPS was writing the people. Now, you tell me that isn't deep state with a, law, with a judge that was never a trial judge before sitting on the federal, and she was the extra judge put on there, and that was appointed from the deep state Obama. So it, it's only trying to explain to you how far oh, uh, Barr has to go in this. It's not going to be easy for him. 
He's going to have to get honest people, which he has. I don't think he can do everything within the two years, but he knows better than I. And I think he's going to take the top of the mountain down faster than any other 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 uh, attorney general that we ever had. He's a man of deep respect, very knowledgeable, and I like what he said to uh, to the Speaker of the House. He asked her if she brought her handcuffs. So what does that mm-hmm. tell you how he thinks about what they're doing? No, yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. Very well said. Dan, Well, look about, Am- look about Ambassador Susan Rice, what she pulled. She worked yep. at the American University. Does anybody know what that was? Yeah, that, that's a university four miles away from the campus in Washington, D.C. All right? right. She, her job was to do research to give it to Clinton while, she was, she, while she's employed as a government employee for us. And who did that? Was the deep state put her there? And they used that against Trump during the elections. All her information. She had 14 people working for her. That's what they did when she was with the American University. So there was a yes. lot of stuff going on, and they protected Irma Nawa because he was the lead security leak in, in, in Congress, as you know. He broke into all the uh, Congress people uh, computers. Uh, uh, I could go on and on and tell you. I don't know if I have enough time to fill up the airwave. We can do it another evening. But I... uh, Dan, go ahead. No, I'm just uh, I'm listening to Chip. I, I'm fascinated. He's uh, he's got he's a wealth of knowledge, and uh, uh, you know it's just amazing to 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 hear it. So you know, I'm I'm just happy listening to this uh, to this. This is a little out of my scope. And I'm glad to uh, to be listening to uh, to Chip. He, he seems to know uh, exactly what's going on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Mike Peters, go ahead. All right, before we go any further, good evening, everybody. And, and Dan, I want to uh, compliment you on that article that you did recently that was just published. That was fantastic. You did a great job with it. You simmered oh. it down to all of the key elements that, that even somebody that isn't aware of really what's going on would get a grasp on it and say, wait a minute, I've got to look into this more. You really did a great job on that article. Well, thank you. And what I, what I found is it's important to show people how they're being misled and how the, the, the gun, the anti-gun propaganda is just really uh, done in a way that people don't even recognize that they're being misled. And, uh, you know, when you see groups like Moms Demand, you, you listen to Shannon Watts and, and all these people, um, you know, in the way she's even convincing the, the executives at Levi's to get on board with this stuff. Uh, it, it's really good. It's really good. They're talented people. They're, they have a way of, uh, of changing the thought process. And so that's the stuff that's really that I like to uncover and, and expose and try to help people see it a little more clear. Uh, so thank you very much. I appreciate it. that article uh, is you know, is getting around town now. It's pretty. It's doing pretty you well. You know, Dan, if you if, if you ever need it, uh, you can send me a personal message. You know, I've got in my collection of World War II items. I've got an original poster that was put up when the Nazis occupied every country in Europe. They put up posters stating the new rules, and I have one uh, that's yeah. written in Dutch that tells you you have 24 hours to turn on all firearms, ammunition, crossbows, weapons under penalty of death. Well, you know, and I've you got know an original one, and people, I've, I've had liberals tell me outright, anti-gunners said that you photoshopped that. That didn't exist. They don't refuse to believe, even when you show them the facts, yeah. it doesn't fit their reality. They refuse to believe it. Uh, you yeah. know, it's scary, and I, and I say this all the time. I, you know, 
It's not so unbelievable that governments would want to disarm their citizens, but that citizens would beg to be disarmed by their government is a much scarier thought to me. And that's exactly what we have going on on our liberal left. These people are out there protesting in the streets for more gun restrictions, and they don't even realize that what they're doing is they're begging the government to take their rights away. Now, they might not want to own a gun, but their kids and their grandkids might. And what they're doing is they're trying to kill that because they are uh they've been indoctrinated with a with an irrational yeah. fear of guns. They don't know any better and they've also been uh taught to believe that gun owners are reckless and dangerous and they they've developed a hatred and anger toward gun owners. So that's what you got to do. You have to scare the hell out of them and then you have to make them angry uh to get them to 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 do exactly what you know what Hitler accomplished um by with his propaganda is to get people to jump on board with the agenda and it's amazing to watch i i i'm fascinated every time i see a liberal out there with their picket sign saying i demand you take my rights away yeah it, you know it makes no sense and you know what what in in reality you know if any of these people go read history, you know, they would understand that when a government is going down the route of taking your firearms, they're getting ready to treat you like the citizens in Venezuela. What happened? Yeah. Venezuelan residents and citizens there got their guns taken away from them. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but I believe it's 2012 when it happened. Yeah. And ever since yeah. then, they've been defenseless. Yeah, yeah, and they're throwing rocks to defend themselves now because they've been disarmed under the guise of gun control, a gun safety rather, and that's exactly what our liberal left want to do here. I, I, I just can't, you know, it's it's hard to believe, but but when you see it, and then you watch these groups like Moms Demand in every town, and you'll see them yeah. out there recruiting more stupid people to get on board with right. their with their mission. And it's like watching a bunch of robots fall right in line and you and you're scratching your head you're going what the hell is wrong with these people but they think that they're the good guys they <laughs> think they're doing they believe they're doing the right thing so they that's the that's the real scary part is that they actually believe that what they're doing is good and for and for some you know for some odd strange reason these people believe that criminals follow laws Putting gun laws into place, criminals yeah. don't follow laws, and how the hell are you going to get the millions of guns illegally off the street? The only thing this does, and well, I've said it many times, and it's common sense, is it leaves the good guy in, in, in a bad situation because he follows laws, unlike criminals, you know? Well, and, and here's another thing. I won't, I, don't, I won't talk too much, but here's another thing that I want to – I, I, that I stumbled across in, in, in doing this research is that what one of the pieces with you talk about criminals, criminals are not criminals to them. Criminals are victims to them. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. so when you when you can take someone's mindset and you can take their thought process and you can turn law abiding gun owners into bad guys and you can turn criminals into victims, you flip the whole the whole conversation. That's why they do what they do because 
they don't see criminals as criminals. They see them as victims of society, and they see yep. us, the, 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 the law-abiding conservative American, uh, they see us as the bad guys because we're the, we're the opposition to their agenda. It's, it's amazing how, how it's switched around, but that's what they do, and that's how they motivate these people. It's very, it's very true. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial, and we're going to come back with the rest of the panel and get their thoughts. We'll be right back, everybody. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from The Rory Sodder Show. Are you an aspiring entrepreneur? Do you have an app idea? Do you want to save money? Well, I got great news for you. My company, GetYourAppBuilt.com, charges a fraction of the cost compared to anywhere else. And all of our work is the same amount of professionalism you'd see from any other company. Uh, please visit our website, GetYourAppBuilt.com, for your free consultation and contact us today. Thank you. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from The Rory Sodder Show. Please visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com for all your authentic, customized, and creative President Trump apparel and merchandise. You won't find products like this anywhere else. And best part of all, it's made here right in the USA. Use Mega45 at checkout for 30% off your first purchase. Again, visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com today for a wide variety of great selections. Thank you. And we are back, everybody, coast to coast, worldwide, the Rory Sodder Show, listened to in 23 different countries, on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you missed any past clips, past episodes, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit our media site, thenexgenusa.com. And remember, in the coming weeks, we will be having many notable names doing their own shows on my network, and I'll be sharing the details very soon, and I can't wait. Uh, I do want to go to Eric Thompson. Eric, uh, I want to know your thoughts uh, on all this stuff, and after you answer uh, your thoughts on all this stuff, I want you uh, quick, you know, quickly to answer uh, the Iran situation, going to war with Iran, because you've been over in Desert Storm. You've lived, uh, you know, this sort of life in the Middle East, and you know what they're all about, but, you know, obviously start out with what we were just talking about. Well, I think a lot of us, uh, you know, we rack our brains on a daily basis going, why why would a free society want to put themselves under tyranny? Why would yeah. you have this broad, broad-ranging uh, Bill of Rights that are that the world, you know, longs to have, and yet when they come in our country, by not assimilating, in order to try to get benefits from the government, they're willing to to kind of say, well, I didn't have these Bill of Rights back home, so I'm really not going to be that concerned about keeping them here. And so um, if Venezuela is, takes away any fool can look at Venezuela and say, democratic right. socialism doesn't work. So I'm not going, I'm no longer going to listen to Bernie or AOC, but because the colleges have been pouring out Marxists, and they're told just to fall in line, and the government will take care of business, and they will correct the wrongs in the culture. And the white people, Europeans, and toxic masculinity has really been a problem. Reparations needs to be paid. And the only way that can be forced <laughs> to happen would be a strong central government. So even though Venezuelans are paying $1,500 for a carton of eggs, 
and they've eaten their their zoo animals, and they're killing each other, and they're fleeing. They they still are looking at at uh, Mayor Pete. They're looking at Bernie. They're looking Holy at judge. Biden. And I know. So I mean, what, so we we sit over and we have a logical conversation, saying, well. Why would anybody want to give up any First Amendment rights? Why would anybody want to give up any Second Amendment rights for knowing that the Second Amendment was written to prevent tyranny? So Venezuelans gave up their guns, which is why they are now living under massive oppression and tyranny. So they just did. So you have this parallel of false education, revisionism, while you have live failing socialism in our southern hemisphere. You know, it's a direct parallel, and the fact is people are too busy staring at Facebook, Snapchat, and trying to watch, uh, you know, YouTube and Netflix documentaries, and they didn't get any taught, they didn't get any taught, uh, taught anything in school. So you have a very low-educated, failing school system pouring out kids that don't know anything except that they may be transgender at five, and 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 we're sitting here like as fifty or I'm fifty one. I'm going. Well, of course, of course, nobody would vote to give up guns because look in, look at Venezuela. Of course, nobody would want the government to take over utilities and the medical system. Look at Venezuela. You know, we we have it right there live. But because we've allowed the colleges for the last three generations to pour out Marxists. We're dealing with 40-year-olds and under that don't know anything but to fall in line, don't stand out, don't be hateful, and to be part of the collective, the group think. And as long as you do that, you might survive in this crazy world as you live with your parents at 35 in the basement, paying off a student loan that you can't afford to pay off. And so it's, it's a crazy cycle while we're getting invaded by millions of people. We got diseases coming in from Mexico and El Salvador that we haven't seen in, in decades. And our debt is ballooning. And if you look, you know, in the meantime, the, the Democrats are still in the committees looking at Trump's inauguration paperwork today. A judge said that uh, Trump does have to turn over his tax returns. So it, it's, it, it is a, it's a time where people have to step up and, and take a stand if we half do this, like I said earlier, we will fail. When it comes to Iran, I think Bolton is the problem with Iran. I, I think he's a war hawk, and I think the same thing happened with Desert Storm. Uh, when we went over to kick Saddam out of Kuwait, you know, that was basically a, a, a kind of a duh. You know, of course, Saddam shouldn't take over Kuwait and Saudi Arabia. That's kind of like a, like a, a bad thing to do. So we had so many countries with us, half a million troops. We rolled across the border. They threw their hands up. Uh, the sad thing is, is our troops were using them as target practice as they were retreating. That's actually a, a bad part of the story a little bit. But I, I, think, I think President Trump needs to be very careful who's in his cabinet right now. I think there's nothing can be gained unless Iran directly shoots missiles into our embassy and or attacks Israel or shows a nuclear bomb fully developed. I think we just need to keep the sanctions on, keep an eye on Turkey, try to keep Putin at bay, and deal with our own problems at home because we have cancer, we have diseases, 
our limbs are falling off, and we're worried about what the mullahs are doing over in Iran. And I, I don't see any good that can come out of getting in a physical contact with Iran. Well said. Very well said. Uh, Dr. Branch, I'll let you respond. Go ahead, Dr. Branch. You know, Eric brought up a really good point. Uh, first of all, Dan, great talking back with you again and, and, and having you back on the show. Uh, today, a judge, you know, we were talking about the deep state. Today, a judge said that, um, you know, the, the Trump has to turn over documents. Said, simply put, it's, it's, it's not fathomable that a Constitution grants Congress the power to remove a president for reasons including criminal behavior would deny Congress the power to investigate him for unlawful conduct, past or present, even without formally opening up the case to inquiry. Dr. Branch, you cut now. We have the Fourth and Fifth Amendment in our country. That Fourth and Fifth Amendment gives us due process. This judge right here said even without grand jury, even without any formal charges, Congress has the right to do this. And to me, that is the deep state. You know, the the person that put that judge in office, there's a reason why. And to me, you know, it can't go on unchecked uh, because this is our Fourth and Fifth Amendment right. This is our due process right. It's also our Ninth Amendment right. Uh, also, I'd want to say something that uh, Jeff brought up as well. Um, you know, he said that there's going to be a point in time when the People with the license for the guns will protect the people without the license for the guns. Well, you know, I, I understand you're trying to make a point. However, in Arizona, you know, most of us stand that there is no such thing as a license for a gun. Uh, we don't even have – we're allowed to carry concealed without license or without permit. So um, – and you have people going around like Cory Booker running for president calling for licensing of guns. He equates it to driving a car. He says, well, if you drive a car, you have to have a license, so you should have a license if you go carry a gun. Well, I'm sorry, but one is protected under the Second Amendment uh, and in our Bill of Rights to the United States Constitution. Uh, the other is not. So to me, uh, there should be no license for guns. Uh, I, I have done it, and I have the right to do it. I can carry a concealed gun down to our state capitol during a rally and have absolutely no problems legally. And the police actually, you know, know that I do have it. So um, to me, this is just, you know, from the, from the left, the presidential candidates, they're trying to construct this narrative that the only reasons why people should have guns is so that they can go hunting. And this is not the case. Yeah, yeah, very, very well said. Uh, Dan, I'll let you respond, then, I, then I'm going to go to Kevin. But, Dan, I'll let you respond. Go ahead. Well, and, and uh, thanks. Good talking to you again, too. Um, I, you know, there's – they use the word uh, need a lot. You know, nobody needs to carry a gun in public. Nobody needs to own a gun. You know, and if – they would love for gun ownership to be measured by a metric of need because that way they could regulate it. That way, you know, if you, you like I use this scenario, you're in your living room and somebody, a couple guys come in and they attack you in your house and you shoot them and they end up dead on your front lawn. 
Well, you yeah. could have a there'll be a whole string of lawyers coming after you saying you didn't need to use a gun. You could have you could have hidden a closet, you and your family could have retreated. How is it then we ask them how what why is it any of your business what I own? That's what yeah. I hate with liberals. They're like, Why do you need an A an AR yeah. and why do you need an AR? Why is it any of your business, you know? Well, right, because it's not the bill of needs, and that was that was specifically why it's called a, a right and not a privilege. You know, as soon as you put the word, it, you attach the word need to something, now it becomes a, a a privilege. It's something that can be measured because they would determine whether or not you need it. the The word right is very important, and and people don't put enough uh, they don't put enough thought into that word. A privilege is something that is that's man made. It can be given. And it can be taken away. A right cannot. And they hate that, so they'll they'll try to they'll try to make uh, the Second Amendment right look like a privilege, uh, but they'll take uh, like uh, abortion and they'll call it a woman's right to choose, when when in fact that's actually not a right. That's a government issued privilege. Um, so so they 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 switch they flip the narrative all the time. It's like what it's like whatever's convenient for them. Uh, Right. Kevin, go ahead. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, I 100% agree with, with Eric, especially on the whole uh, invading Iran, having a war with Iran, because it's, it's not in America's first interest. Because uh, as far as Iran is telling us and, um, and as far as intelligence has proven, there hasn't been these aggressive acts towards uh, war. And there's, uh, you know, we have our tens of. Uh, many bases surrounding Iran. It's not like they're invading. If anything, it's a, a we're surrounding them in, in the region. So, uh, yeah, unless there is a, a deliberate attack from Iran, that, that would justify it. But uh, that's not been the case so far. And it's more so been us that have been aggressing um, and uh, making tensions more uh, frictionous is the fact that we've had uh, labeled the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps as a domestic and international terrorist group and all groups that uh, finance or do business with this group are considered terrorists and essentially what has been the case is that uh, there's you know there's been one assassination attempt in Washington DC when they tried to take out uh, the Saudi ambassador that you know that was against the uh, uh, Saudi specifically but also there was a bombing uh, in the United Arab Emirates uh, that killed 19 Americans, and that's the sum total of this group's uh, terrorist activity. But what we have right now is we have these Muslim uh, Brotherhood groups uh, that actually engage in far more acts of terrorism and uh, occupation and uh, financing of, of very real terrorist activity all across the world, especially in America, that are not labeled these uh, domestic terrorist groups or, or these uh, foreign invasive forces. So uh, I think more could be done in order to protect American interests, and by invading Iran, we're shifting our focus uh, to the, the wrong areas. That's what I think. And uh, to talk about these uh, gun issues, uh, as we were speaking prior about how the, the left has all these uh, terrible, uh, senseless definitions and uh, their reasoning for creating these gun control measures – um, that are so ridiculous, the fact being that they think that uh, Trump is the second coming of Hitler, yet they want to take away everyone's guns to Hitler, 
And uh, and uh, the number two, I think, reason that they give for wanting to do gun control measures is because of these school shootings. I mean, we've seen mm-hmm. time and time again of these very dubious, uh, if they're even organic at all, school shootings um, that are taking place. And that's giving the, the media and all these different uh, liberal groups these uh, justifications for trying to do these con- gun control measures, take away our guns. And uh, right. I think it's an entirely yeah. uh, fictitious. And so essentially yes. uh, what's, what's most important too is that um, Trump has not been a strong leader in protecting our gun rights. I mean, what we have right now is there's well over half a million Americans that are now considered felons because they own bump stocks, okay. And there's also something uh, even worse taking place are what are these red flag laws. And what that means is that anyone who has reason to believe, or maybe not even reason at all, they, they could actively uh, give the government a, a tip off saying that they believe so-and-so has uh, an illegal firearm or any, any reason to believe that they're doing something illegal. So then you could have the, the ATF or federal forces like police come to your door and try to uh, find out and investigate the matter and potentially, you know, put you in prison for a long time. And these are active infringements on our second amendment. I'm very fortunate being here in Arizona where you don't need a, right. a life registration in order to own any kind of uh, legal firearm at all. And so I, I really hope that we could expand that kind of access to, to other States because I, I fled from essentially California and they have some of the worst in the entire country. I'm very glad that we have ammo that we could buy as much as we want without any any hassle. Absolutely. Uh, please tell everybody where they can find you. We only have a few minutes left. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So just find me on Facebook at uh, nationalistunited.com. Or, yeah, or nationalistunited.com. Thank you. Perfect. Uh, Daryl, I'll let you have the final final word on this. Go ahead. Yeah, so we're coming up on the tail end here. Everything was just about covered. My main point again on guns is before they even get a chance to talk Second Amendment, I want to talk Hollywood and uh, imposing meaningful standards on art, which is completely out of control and is a cesspool of uh, degeneracy. Uh, You can find me at DarylKane2024.com. Always a pleasure. Wishing wishing everyone a blessed evening. Thank you. Thank you, Daryl. I appreciate you, man. We'll see you tomorrow. Uh, Dr. Branch, please tell everybody where they can find you. Yes. Uh, again, thank you for having me on your show. I echo with what Daryl said. God bless everybody here. You can find me on Twitter at Bob Branch. That's B-O-B-B-R-A-N-C-H. Perfect. Uh, let's go to Eric. Eric, please tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on again. Um, I'm on mojo50.com, 11 o'clock, Monday through Friday. You can hear it on iHeartRadio. Um, but I'm trying to do a push on my Facebook alternative. It's called MAGA Book, M-A-G-A Book.com. We have some great people on there. And um best place to find me is either on mojo50 or MagaBook.com. Thank you. For sure. Dan, tell everybody where they can find you. Well, guys, thanks so much. It's always an enlightening conversation here. I appreciate listening to everybody. Thanks again. Um, you, everyone can find me at goodgunbadguy.net or goodgunbadguy.com. Absolutely. Thanks, Dan. And uh, Chip51, uh, Chip, I'll get you back soon. I, I'm sorry I didn't get to you more today. We just, we're just we on a certain time frame, but I, I loved uh, everything you said. But please tell everybody where they can find you. 
at investigator underscore 51. And if I could just say one quick thing, I meant to say it earlier. I did prosecute some cases involving chemicals, and there's a Kawadi professor on the Internet, and he's telling people or trying to get people taking four pounds of anthrax over the border can kill 330,000 people. So that's something that the Democrats better think about the border. They can bring anthrax in here and kill 330,000, just four, four pounds of it. But I won't take up any more of the time. It's great you guys are all talking to you. You're all very knowledgeable. And thank you, Rory, for having me on. I look forward to being on again with you. Yeah, we'll have you back this week, sir. Thank you, Chip. We'll talk to you soon. All right, sir. Thank you. All righty. It's been a fantastic show tonight. Uh, I want to thank my audience. I want to thank all my co-hosts, my guests, and my sponsors. You guys are absolutely fantastic. Uh, the show just keeps getting better and better. Uh, we're listened to in 23 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past shows, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit my media site, thenextnexgenusa.com. And remember, in the coming weeks, we will be having many notable names doing their own shows on my network. And as time gets closer, I will be announcing all the details for that. Very exciting stuff. Uh, guys, we have a huge, huge show tomorrow, um, and uh, I can't wait to share it with all of you. And like I always do, for the stuff I didn't get to today, I will get to that tomorrow. Uh, again, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, I'm Rory Sauter. Have a great night, everybody. God bless. Cheers. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>